On this episode of This Week in Linux, we have a ridiculously packed episode for you with a new release from the Linux kernel itself. KDE announced they are working on Plasma for TVs. And we've got some distro news from SUSE, Endeavor OS, and a new Deepin Remix for Ubuntu. In hardware news, Pine64 announced a new UbiPorts edition of the PinePhone. And we've got two new Linux-powered laptops that were announced. Tuxedo Computers teamed up with the Manjaro project to make some Manjaro-branded laptops and System76 announced their new Lemur Pro product line. GNOME announced a new challenge that they are working on with the Endless Computers Company called the Community Engagement Challenge. And we've also got some interesting news from the future of the Calamari's installer to cover. There's also a topic that as a KDE Plasma fan I'm not too excited to discuss, and that's Qt's new roadmap where they are considering diverting away from open source to a degree. Well, I guess more accurate to say a delay rather than a diverting, but yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that and so much more coming up on this episode of This Week in Linux. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. I'm actually a huge fan of DigitalOcean because they allow us to do so much stuff with this very cheaply because, I mean, there's it's just awesome to be able to spin up a $5 droplet and have a DLN forum on it. The Destination Linux Network Forum is powered by the D- DigitalOcean droplet, and the same thing is true for the Mumble server for Destination Linux and so much more because they let you do so much and provide you so much value at a very, very cheap rate. And you can get started for DigitalOcean for two months for free, in fact, with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN, and you can use that $100 credits for up to two months to do whatever you want. You don't have to spin up for just a $5 droplet. You can spin up a $50 droplet and have that for two months. There's so much options you can have for that, and definitely take advantage of that deal because it is awesome to be able to try out all the different things you can do, it, especially when you get that $50 per month massive beast droplet you can go with. Just check it out for sure. And thanks again for DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. A first in the show this week is the namesake of the show being the Linux kernel. So Linux kernel 5.6 was released, and the first Linux this is the first Linux kernel that comes equipped with the WireGuard support out of the box. If you're not aware, WireGuard is a VPN that is being is a really cool protocol, and the way they describe it on their website is that it's an extremely simple yet fast and modern VPN that utilizes state-of-the-art cryptography. It aims to be faster, simpler, leaner, and more useful than IPsec while avoiding the massive headache, and it intends to be considerably more performant than OpenVPN. WireGuard is designed for general-purpose VPN for running on embedded interfaces and supercomputers alike. Now this is really cool because WireGuard has been making a lot of uh, progress for a long time, and it's got a lot of hype around it too because it is quite good, and it's also very simple to get started with it. Now, I wouldn't say easy necessarily because it's relatively easy depending on your experience level and that kind of thing 
but it is a much more simplistic approach to a VPN configuration and all that stuff compared to the other options, which are a lot more involved. So it's really cool, and I am happy to see that it is now uh, the uh, out-of-the-box support for it because that is fantastic, and it will probably mean that more services will be utilizing it in the future, which is fantastic, of course. There's also other things that come in the latest release of the Linux kernel 5.6, and that is support for USB 4 and also idle cooling thermal drivers for CPUs. There's also support for Amazon Echo smart speakers and a new ZoneFS file system support. There's also been support added for other file systems like F2FS file systems has added compression support and ButterFS has gotten async discard support in this release. 5.6 includes support for ARM chips and some new ARM chips and boards, uh, including engine, the Nginx X1000 system on a chip, and there's other processors available uh, as well for, that got support from this release, being AMD Ryzen Zen 3 processors, and also some graphics cards improvements for NVIDIA GeForce RTX 2000 Turing series. Now, there's also interesting because Linus Torvalds made a statement regarding covid it could potentially impact the development cycle going forward, but he it's also saying that it might not, so it's interesting. He says that, while I haven't really seen any real sign of kernel development being impacted at all by the coronavirus activity, I suspect a lot of us work from home even normally. And he says that my daughter laughed at me and called me a social distancing champ the other day, and it may be worth, but it may be worth mentioning that I think we're all reading the news and slightly distracted, so I'm currently going by the assumption that we'll have a fairly normal 5.7 release, and there doesn't seem to be any sign saying otherwise, but hey, people may have better than usual reasons for missing the merge window this time. So it's possible that 5.7 will have a little bit of a delay. It might not. We don't know yet. But 5.6 is out, and it has a lot of great improvements, and I am super excited for the WireGuard support. So if you have ever tried WireGuard, and you've like, let me know what you think about it, and all the other stuff, if you're interested in this stuff too. Uh, but I'm really interested and curious about, if you've ever tried WireGuard before, what do you think about the simplicity of it? Is it simple? Is it easy to use? Let me know in the comments below. Up next in the show, let's just get it out of the way because we're going to talk about the topic I don't really want to talk about. And that's not because I don't want to talk about it. It's just I don't want it to be true and I don't want it to be a thing. But it is, so hey, let's do it. So is Qt diverting from open source? Eh, kind of. Uh, more delay, but yeah, still super annoying. So the Qt project is one of the most popular UI frameworks just in general, and it has a long history of use within Linux and open source ecosystem. Uh, Qt is most widely known to Linux users due to the extensive use by the KDE community for applications as well as my preferred desktop environment, Plasma. So I've been asked by many people what I think about the latest news with Qt and the potential damage it has for collaborations with open source and specifically KDE and Plasma and all that. So, uh, But uh, before we get to that, it's also more than just KDE stuff because Qt is actually super important in terms of open source because in addition to Plasma, a lot of other desktop developers are moving towards Qt. Where, example, uh, Deepin Linux uses Qt. LXQT or LXQt is a desktop environment that was went from LXDE from GTK to Qt. Uh, the, the NX desktop also uses Qt. And the recent UK UI from Ubuntu Chillin. I'm not sure if I pronounced that one right or not, but that has been recently switched to Qt. So a lot of stuff do, does use Qt. So it's it's very important, not just for KDE users, but also many others. And uh, also Qt is a really good toolkit in general. So I'm really disappointed by this news. I think that tool, the Qt toolkit is better than GTK. 
And now having that said, I'm a little bit disappointed with the new recent announcement. So the Qt company may change the ability of open source developers to continue using the same capacity that they have before because unfortunately they've been doing some weird things. Earlier this year, Eric Londo from Front Page Linux reported on some sweeping changes implemented by the Qt project that were quite worrying at the time when he, he covered this in, in his Linux++ series. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes, but uh, now this is the announcements from Qt are, well, worse, I guess. Likely the most controversial decision, making the new Qt releases available for paid customers for 12 months prior to releasing as open source. This would mean that Qt would be locked for an entire year for open source developers. The reason stated for this change is due to the COVID-19 pandemic and appears to be an attempt to increase their short-term profits to make it through the crisis. However, when the money starts coming in, will they truly revert their policies for open source developers like those at KDE and the rest? Who knows? Actually, you know, it's just up in the air. Maybe they'll take this as an opportunity to lock it down a little bit. I don't know. It's really, it's not a good thing either way. This could be quite bad for new releases of anything that uses Qt, whether that's KDE Plasma, Qt-based apps, or any other DEs that I mentioned previously. Uh, but KDE's Olaf... Um, I'm going to butcher this. I'm sorry. I'm going to try, though. Olaf schmidt Wushover. Almost guaranteed wrong. Last week, he says that the company suddenly informed both the KDE EV board and KDE Free Qt Foundation that the economic outlook caused by the coronavirus puts more pressure on them to increase short-term revenue. As a result, they're thinking about restricting all Qt releases to paid license holders for the first 12 months. They are aware that this would mean the end of contributions via open governance in practice. He says that we hope that the Qt company will reconsider. However, this threat to the open source community needs to be anticipated so that the KDE communities and Qt communities can prepare themselves. The Qt company says that they are willing to reconsider the approach only if we offer them concessions in other areas. He goes on to say that we had discussed an approach for contract updates which they suddenly threw away by restricting LTS releases of Qt instead. Now, the Qt company has responded to this, I mean, a little bit, sort of. They say that there have been discussions on various internet forums about the future of Qt open source in the last two days. The contents do not reflect the views or plans of the Qt company. The Qt company is proud to be committed to its customers' open source and the Qt governance model. When you change stuff that fundamentally locks other things out, you're not committed to the things that you're saying that you're committed to. I mean, that's just kind of obvious. I mean, you, this is just pandering. This is just trying to, you know, save face. I don't want Cute to be hurt by this because it is a fantastic toolkit. And of course, it's a fundamental piece of KDE and a lot of other based uh, things that are Cute based And it's just sad and I don't want this to happen. But with that said... It appears that the KDE EV board and the KDE Free Cute Foundation are in heavy negotiations with the Cute company to try to make them consider altering their decision. But the current economic times we're in, who knows what will happen with this. On the other hand, many open source developers utilize Cute regularly. Are, they're calling for a fork of the project and to create their own open source version that would never be under the control of a single company. Now, that would be awesome. However, a lot of the work that goes into Qt is through the Qt company and that ecosystem. So it may work, it may not work, I don't know. But it is open source, so they could do that if they wanted to, if they found it necessary. 
but I hope the cute company sees the mistake that this would be and finds a way, some way to avoid this action because it would be very problematic for many. For the future of KDE and Cute, there is an agreement in place between KDE and the Cute company that states that should the Cute company discontinue the development of the Cute free edition under the required licenses, then the foundation has the right to release Cute under a BSD style license or under other open source licenses. So there is a way that they could fork it because they have legal rights to do so thanks to this KDE Cute or KDE Free Cute Foundation that was created in 1999 in conjunction with, uh, I think, Trolltech at the time who owned Cute. Uh, I'm not sure if it was actually Trolltech then, but uh, I think it was. Anyway, so this has been our, this the Cute uh, project uh, foundation has been around for a very long time. So maybe they actually have uh, solutions for this already. I don't know, but I hope that the Cute company sees the error of their ways and doesn't do this because it would be very problematic and I don't want that to happen because Qt is a really good toolkit and I don't want it to be removed from the open source ecosystem because at the point where it's locked for a year, it probably would be abandoned at that point in open source. So don't do that. That'd be awful. And I guess we're done with the topic that I don't want to talk about. And uh, yeah, so I don't really know what my opinion is. Honestly, I, I don't know what would happen or should happen other than the fact that I don't want them to do what they're considering to do. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens in the future and just hope for the best. So that's what I'm going to be doing. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, I'll have links in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we're going to transition from a negative-related KDE topic to a positive KDE topic, and that is... Plasma big screen, because Plasma is already available on a lot of different devices, but now it's going to be available on your TV. So you can use it on your desktop, you could use it on your phone with like the Pine phone and various things like that, as well as now a TV. So this is really cool. Uh, you can also control it with your regular remote control that you already have, because you don't need any specialized remote controls thanks to the CEC support that it has. So you can use just the one you already have. In addition, you can also use voice control which is really cool. So Plasma Big Screen takes advantage of the open source project Mycroft AI. Uh, with Mycroft built into the big, big screen project, you can use voice command to play content, check weather, and control other aspects of the smart TV. And you can further train it by you know adding and teaching its skills, and you can go to the Mycroft Marketplace to add more skills, which is really cool. Uh, Plasma, Plasma Big Screen delivers not only media-rich related application stuff, but it also can support traditional desktop apps redesigned to fit the big screen experience too, which is really cool because that's related to like the Kirigami, uh, Kirigami toolkit because they, they basically started implementing a new toolkit that allows you to resize the window on your screen and also makes it more, that's actually how Plasma Mobile is even possible. So that's really awesome. And apparently this is also how big screen for Plasma Big Screen is possible too. So fantastic. Anyway, there's also another piece that's probably one of the most important pieces in this particular thing, especially considering it was following the other one, and that is this open source project. And it also uses other open source technology to give you complete control over your data and smart TV. So you don't have to worry about cute company coming in and taking over. And Actually, I don't know if you do or not because we'll, we still have to wait and see about that, actually. But still awesome. And if you want to check it out, you can you can check it out if you want to now. But to keep in mind... It's still in beta phase, uh, and there's no definite timeline of when the stable release will come out. 
Uh, but all you need right now is a single board computer like a Raspberry Pi and a TV with an HDMI port so that if you want to try it, you can. But again, it's still in beta and there you go. I can't wait to try this out. It looks pretty cool and I'm a big fan of Plasma already as you might already know since I said it multiple times this episode even. So there you go. I'm, I'm going to check it out. And if you would like to check it out, I have link in, links in the show notes for more details about this project. Up next in the show is another topic that I'm excited about, and this is Pine64's new PinePhone UbiPorts Community Edition. Now, if you're not aware, UbiPorts is the company that can, or not company, I guess, but foundation project that continued Canonical's vision of Ubuntu Touch. And they will be shipping the first community edition of the Pine64's PinePhone. So pre-orders for the Pine64 or the PinePhone UbiPorts edition are currently open. And I am extremely excited about this. So let's get to the details. Community Edition for UbiPorts is a limited edition Pine phone that is aimed primarily at UbiPorts community members that are willing to use the OS on mainline Linux kernel device, provide feedback to the, the UbiPorts developers. And also there's a statement from Pine64's Lucas Arzinski that shows the, how close the organizations are together to each other. And UbiPorts, he's okay, he says, UbiPorts were among the first to embrace our initiative and offer their support for PinePhone. Together with their friends and the colleagues from other projects, UbiPorts developers have now become an integral part of Pine64, actively shaping our goals and aspirations. He goes on to say, It is therefore very fitting that the UbiPorts Foundation will be the first partner in our community edition scheme in which we will ship a customized PinePhone with UbiPorts operating system by default and donate all profit sales to the foundation, which is awesome. So I'm I'm a big fan of Pine64 just in general. Uh, the, I have a Pine book. I'm getting a Pine phone and a Pine book Pro and a bunch of other stuff because whatever they come out with, basically I, I want it because the Pine tab looks awesome and the Pine time also looks awesome. But anyway, so back to this particular announcement. The Pine Phone UbiPorts Edition will be the same price as the Braveheart Edition, which is $150. And this phone actually is going to be giving $10 of the price will be going to the UbiPorts Foundation. Now, that might not seem like a lot, but the cost of the phone is $140, as in the cost to make it is $140, like the parts and assembly and all that stuff. So the $10 that they get as a profit from the $150 is all of it, and that's going to UbiPorts Foundation which is fantastic. Like it doesn't even make sense. And that's why Pine64 is awesome because they're doing that. Anyway, so not only can you support the awesome people at Pine64, you can also support the work and awesome work at, by the UbiPorts community with the purchase of the new PinePhone UbiPorts edition. It's just, man, I love this news. So if that wasn't cool enough, they also have given some specifics about like what you should expect from the out of box out of box experience with this new UbiPorts edition Pine phone. So all the essentials work now for this edition, including voice calls, SMS messaging or text messaging, GPS, LTE, GPU hardware acceleration, Wi-Fi, and Bluetooth. However, there are still a few points that are lacking, including functionality on both the rear-facing and front-facing cameras. The battery power is not as efficient as they want it to be. They're still working on that, and they, it's not bad. It's just, they, it's, they're basically saying it's good battery life. It's just not as optimal as they want it to be. And USB host connectivity is not optimal either. So 
These are all still being worked on by the UbiPorts community, and in addition to the UbiPorts edition of the phone, the, it, the Pine Phone will ship with a custom case that includes the UbiPorts logo printed on the back, and wait for it, at no extra cost. Not only are you getting a phone that has reasonably good spe uh, specs, that has uh, a very important aspect to open source and the Linux community, and they're very adamant about making a phone for Linux and also working directly with the various different projects rather than making on it on their own, trying to make their own operating system. They're working with the existing operating systems and they're making a great collaboration effort. They're also giving you a case at no extra cost. Now, most phones that you buy don't even come with a case with extra costs or at all. You have to go buy a third-party case, and the Pine64 company are not only giving you a case, they're giving you a case that is custom-branded to the edition that you purchase. That is awesome. Man, I love this company. Uh, does it seem like I'm a fan? Is If it's not clear, I would just go ahead and say that, yes, I'm a fan. So... Now, just as you know, this is not the only community edition they're making. This is just the first one. So there'll be more to be made in the future with a variety of different mobile operating systems that you can choose from you know, down the line. But the Pine64 company estimates that the dispatch in late May of 2020 for this uh, pre-orders, you know, due to the COVID-19 COVID pandemic causing reduced flight and country border closings and stuff like that. They say that the Pine phone can only order can only be ordered alone and other Pine 64 items like Pine phone accessories, those need to be ordered separately and because of that in addition to the also the uh, lithium ion battery typically there's a lot of countries that have rules where you have to ship them in different packages and therefore make the delay a little bit longer for the ship dates. But overall, I don't think May 2020 is that late anyway. In fact, that's kind of quick considering uh, the delays and also the Braveheart edition was just like three months ago. So that's pretty awesome. And uh, I can't wait to get it. I don't have one yet, but I look forward to it. And I also really like the fact that Pine64 is, is also upfront and transparent about various things. So for example... They say that uh, a small number of stuck or dead pixels are a characteristic of LCD screens, so these are normal and not considered a defect. And they let you know up front that the, about this, which is really nice, because you're not spending a ton of money on it, so you shouldn't make you know, massive expectations. But I really love the fact that they also let you know about what you should expect before you make the purchase, which is just, you know, just awesome. Again, I've said this word many times in this topic, but it just keeps happening to be true so there you go so anyway the pine phone at this price is as a community service to pine 64 and ebports communities and if you want to know more about it essentially it is a uh, phone that comes with ebports low miri gui uh, the, the desktop environment usb type c and slim port support usb host display port as an alternate mode output if you want and on the usb type c the USB-A uh, to USB-C charging cable is included. That it also has privacy switchings on the back, so you just take off the back and you can do the change of the switches. And these switches allows you to turn off LTE, GPS, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, microphone, and camera. So this is really cool. I'm just super excited. If you'd like to learn more about this and the community edition for the Pine Phone, I'll have a link in the show notes for the Pine64 blog post announcement about this. And yeah, I'm going to go ahead and move on because I'll just keep talking about how I'm really excited about this phone. 
And uh, I've already said that many times. So let's do it. Let's move on. Up next in the show is a new announcement for hardware from Tuxedo Computers in conjunction with Manjaro. And that is the Manjaro Infinity Book Pro 15. So pre-orders are now available if you want to check it out. I'll have links in the show notes. But first of all, I want to let you know that you should check out episode 167 of Destination Linux because we had an interview with Philip from Manjaro and Vincent's from Tuxedo Computers in a joint interview that was really awesome. We learned all kinds of stuff about how they got connected, how they decided to work together, and all that stuff. I said a lot about the, the laptop itself, and it was a really fun interview. And actually, it was kind of, it was kind of fun because, uh, and, you know, we kind of have like a little bit of a banter back and forth on Destination Linux, and Philip and Vincent joined in on that banter and gave Ryan a little bit of a hard time, which I appreciate. So that was fun. Also... On that show, they announced that there is going to be an AMD edition of their laptop coming soon. Uh, they haven't said exactly when, but fairly soon. But for now, this is the Intel version, and this is the this comes with an Intel Core i7 10510U or i5 10210U four-core processor with eight threads that can run up to 4.9 gigahertz per core, as well as integrated Intel UHD graphics. The machine can be customized up to 64 gigs of DDR4 RAM and up to 2 terabytes of storage with an M.2 SSD via SATA or NVMe PCIe connection. In addition, a major selling point of Manjaro Infinity Book Pro 15 is that is the battery life. Though this can be very quiet a bit depending on how you can use the computer, but Tuxedo has stated that the large 54-watt-hour lithium-ion battery can last up to 12 hours without a charge, which is a ridiculous amount for a very powerful laptop, considering I have a not-very-powerful laptop, and it has like 2 hours. So 12 hours is really impressive. So the, the price of this machine starts out at €1,099 and can be maxed out to €1,829, uh, depending on your configuration. And in addition to this announcement, the two partners have stated that they are making a second model, which will be based off of the recent released Tuxedo Infinity Book S14 version. So if you want to get a 14-inch one instead of a 15-inch one like this one, you might want to check that one out when it comes out. Uh, but until then, the, if you're interested in learning more about this particular Manjaro Infinity Book Pro 15, you can check out the specs and even place an order in the links below. And uh, in the show notes, by the way, I didn't say that, but in the links in the show notes specifically, just a quick note, when I say links below or links in the show notes, I don't mean the YouTube description. I mean the the show notes that are posted on the website for the episode. So that's if you don't see the links and you're kind of worried, like confused why they're not there, uh, they're on the website uh, because it's easier to just keep track of them that way. And also, you know, clicks and hits and stuff. Right? Right? Anyway. So if you're interested in checking out the new Manjaro Infinity Book Pro 15, links in the show notes below. Also, links to the episode for Destination Linux 167 where we interviewed uh, Manjaro's Philip Mueller and Tuxedo's Computer's Vincent's. So be sure to check that out as well. It was a fantastic interview. I know I already said that, but it's that good. You gotta say it again. So check it out in the show notes on the website. Up next in the show is another laptop, and this one is from System76, the Lemire Pro, or Lemur Pro. Not sure which one you're supposed to say. I don't know. But it is a 14-inch laptop, and they say it's the lightest laptop that they've ever made, and it starts at $1,099. 
this they say that it's actually really good for people who are you know, need portability because it only weighs 2.2 pounds or 0.99 kilograms with a 14.1 inch 1080p screen it comes with up to four terabytes of max storage with two m.2 slots and four uh, 40 gigabyte max uh, ram capacity the cpu options won't leave you hanging either you can choose between two 10th gen intel processors both are four core eight threads uh, this is the i the i5 10210u and that goes up to 4.2 gigahertz and a boost speed also the core i7 10510u and that goes up to 4.9 boost speeds for 4.9 gigahertz boost speed and they say if you ever wanted to code in vim for 21 straight hours well with the 73 watt hour battery you can do that according to system 76 and they also say that if you'd like to watch lord of the, all of the lord of the rings on ten, you can do that in 10 hours on the battery life uh, for some reason if you want to do that on battery I guess you could do <laughs> anyway really cool because you won't get cut short if you do want to do that uh, so it comes with also your choice of pop os or ubuntu pre-installed and they also have what's really cool about this is that their new laptops are consistently coming with core boot and this is no exception it also comes with core boot and edk2 as well as their own system 76 firmware apps these are all pre-installed so yeah they know their audience you know anyway uh, as for the I.O., there is a headphone jack, headphone-microphone combo jack. So that's nice to see and that companies are not getting rid of that, like some ridiculous companies. Anyway, uh, also there's going to be some USB Type-C ports that you can have. And now what's also really cool about that is that not only is it a USB Type-C support or a port for just general usage, it also has the ability to charge from it as well as the uh, DC barrel jack port. Uh, they also the final bits of this is that the keyboard is backlit and Intel wireless AC Wi-Fi and Bluetooth are supported. It has a regular size HDMI, which is fantastic because some companies are doing like the little mini HDMI. Uh, USB 3.1 uh, Type C support with a Display Port. Uh, well, actually, what's really is what it is is that it's Display Port technology over USB Type C, which is important in some cases like if you want to have an external monitor like you know those one of those uh, external usb monitors they typically need support through usb type c and this can give that to you so that's pretty cool uh, and also there's a lot of other things that you can check out we'll have a link in the show notes to the front page linux.com uh, article about it that i technically i wrote so uh, you might want to check that out it's pretty good and also, there's the other the announcement. I'll, I'll have it on the website for the system76.com link. I'll have that in the show notes as well. And if you want to check out episode 165 of Destination Linux, yep, there's that again. Uh, this is actually an interview we had with Emma Marshall. She joined us for an interview as well as just guest hosting to talk about the latest news and things happening in Destination Linux world. And be sure to check it out. Episode 165, it was really fun. Although I don't know if I just said, Emma Marshall, if you're not aware, is the happiness manager from System76. So be sure to check that out. Up next in the show is the housekeeping section. And if you thought that Destination Linux, we were done talking about that, you would be incorrect because there are two more episodes I want to talk to you about that are fantastic that if you haven't seen, you need to do that, especially if you need something to do while staying at home because you want to keep everybody safe, as you should be doing. So if you're staying home, good. And if you need something to do and you want to listen to more content, the Destination Linux has more for you because Destination Linux 167 and 165, we have talked about 167 being the Manjaro and Tuxedo interview 
and 165 being the episode with Emma Marshall from System76. But we also have two more to talk about, and that is 168, which is the episode where we have Eric Adams from DL and Extend joining us. Check out that podcast, too. It's a pretty good podcast. And as well as we talk about the behind the scenes of Destination Linux, how we make the show, as well as how we make this show to a point. Uh, we don't go into like the full details of like describing everything in like a tutorial style, but it's a more of a podcast style. So if you're interested in learning about what kind of things that we use, uh, maybe you want to check out my uh, la- this this uh, keyboard that I use, my micro keyboard. Uh, you can check that out, and I talk about it as well as give links to how you can get one and how you use them and that kind of thing. But it's not like a full deep tutorial. And if you want one of those, let me know, and I will add that to the future a list of things that I'm going to do on this channel. So we also talk about another thing on on you might be interested. The Earn It Act is pretty disgusting. It's basically Congress trying to trying to destroy end-to-end encryption. And if that matters to you, you should definitely check that episode out. It's a um, pretty extensive discussion on that topic. I might I might do a video specifically on that to kind of go into more details about like what it is and get more attention to it because it is awful, especially considering they're trying to push it through during this time. So you know, there's that. But also, there's Destination Linux episode 166 to talk about, too. And on that podcast, we have Derek of DistroTube join us, and we talk about tiling window managers, including System76 Pop Shell, which is adding shell or tiling window management to the GNOME shell, which is pretty interesting. So you can check that out. It's a really good, a really fun conversation. It was really great to have Derek join us for the show. So check out Destination Linux 165. 166, 167, and 168 because all of them are awesome episodes and you definitely should check them out because there's so much good content these days and uh, I'm not biased at all. I mean, it's not like I'm a host of the show or anything. You can, it's not like you can see me as a, one of the hosts. That's, I mean, that would be ridiculous because <laughs> promoting yourself. Well, you know, Destination Linux. Speaking of self-promotion, which I would never do, Tux Digital and This Week in Linux are on Library now. Library platform, if you want to check it out there, feel free to check out the content because it's awesome and Library is awesome too. So, Library describes itself as a secure, open, and community-run digital marketplace. Essentially, it's a competitor to YouTube that uses blockchain technology to power the platform. So, what's really cool about this is it allows you to have decentralization through blockchain, but also centralization through library.tv. And to be clear, library is spelled L-B-R-Y. So you go to lbry.tv to check out the actual website and the platform, and it's really cool. And I've actually contributed code to, li- uh, to library and uh, since I implemented it to the channel. So it's, you know, getting pretty serious. And if you thought Destination Linux was done, nope, there's still some more. Episode 164 has Jeremy Kaufman from Library. He's the CEO and founder of Library. And we had an interview with him to talk about all this, the great stuff that they're doing over there at Library, as well as his Linux journey, because he, yes, he is a Linux user. So be sure to check out episode 164 of Destination Linux to, to see that interview. See, so much good content. It's hard to get it all in and let you know about it. And I know it seems like I'm just, you know, a bunch of self-promotion, but I mean... It is fantastic content, so it's okay that I tell you about it, I think, because of how good it is, not biased at all. So anyway, if you'd like to check out the content of Tux Digital on library, go to tuxdigital.com slash library or tuxdigital.com slash LBRY to check that out. And if you want to check out episode 164, I'll have a link in the show notes, but also destinationlinux.org slash episode dash 164. And if you appreciate all this great content and also appreciate all the self-promotion to the great content, 
then maybe consider becoming a patron of Tux Digital. By becoming a patron of Tux Digital, you are directly helping me finance the creation of this show and all the other content on the channel, as well as helping me devote more time to the whole the, the Destination Linux network community and ecosystem and all that. So if you would like to do that, I would very much appreciate it. And not in addition to that, not only do you help me make this show possible, you also get special rewards by joining for like, for example, you can join me in the new monthly patrons live chat stream that we're doing. That's uh, It's a patrons chat live stream. So be, by being a patron, you're able to join me in the room to have a discussion, and we also live stream to anybody who wants to watch it. You can join; they can join the uh, text chat. But to be on the actual stream, you need to be a patron of Tux Digital or actually anybody in the network or the Destination Linux network. So you can be a patron of Tux Digital or Destination Linux itself or any of the other creators like DOS Geek or uh, Linux for Everyone, etc. But uh, Tux Digital is a really good one to consider. I'm just saying. And I'd like to th- thank all the awesome people who are already doing it. It's over 80 people who are patrons of Tux Digital. I want to say thank you very, 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 very much for helping me make create this content because it's very important to me, and I appreciate it immensely, especially considering that these times are just, just ridiculous and crazy, and you're helping me make more content, and I just can't thank you enough. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm, I, 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 as I said, I can't thank you enough, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm next in the show with some cool news about the future of Calamares and the roadmap that they announced recently. So before we get into that, if you're not aware, Calamares is a distro agnostic installer for various Linux distributions. It's not a universal installer because the distro actually has to implement it still, but it is very customizable, so a lot of distributions have, and actually, quite frankly, it looks pretty good too for an installer. Uh, but actually, already 29 operating systems at least have shipped it with shipped Calamares in their distribution. And there's also new versions of Calamari's coming out every two weeks, which is ridiculously quick. And the idea of Calamari's arose from the desire of several independent Linux distributions to come together to create a shared system installer. So that's where it comes from. And it's also sponsored by Blue Systems. Uh, Blue Systems is a really cool company because they actually sponsor Manjaro, KDE, Calamari's, and a bunch of other stuff. A lot of KDE projects are sponsored by Blue Systems. So really awesome about that. Uh, there's also the first installer with automatic replace partition option, which makes it easy to reuse a partition over and over for distribution testing, which is really, really cool. I like that feature a lot. So Calamari's is used in a lot of different distributions like Manjaro, Endeavor OS, Lubuntu, KDE Neon, and many, many more. Uh, so let's talk about what is new in the latest uh, roadmap future report, I guess, for Calamari's. They've said that they will be switching to 3.3x branch uh, in in a few in a few months. They're currently on the 3.2 branch, and they will be still making some more releases for that. But they'll be switching to 3.3, and in the switch for 3.3, they'll be focusing on restructuring the source code to be written in C++ instead of Python for a variety of reasons. They say that most importantly, the compile time error checking is why they're doing it. They are also switching to QML or the Qt uh, modeling language for the UI elements. They say that this process will make will make maintaining and improving Calamari's much cleaner, organized, and flexible due to not having to be compiled into the project itself. They also say it'll make it much easier for distributions to customize the installer to their branding and colors and all that stuff, which is really cool. I just want to give you like some uh, some attention to the Calamari's project because I think it's really awesome that what they're doing to create this 
not necessarily universal, but distro agnostic installer. And in fact, when Intergos uh, decided to uh, end their project, the Endeavor OS team came up and were talking about making the, uh, you know, continuing the branch of that operating system in the Endeavor OS name, but they were going to be using Cinchi. And I was like, hey, hey guys, so I'm really happy that you're using you're going to continuing the, uh, the what Interago started. That is really awesome. But maybe don't use that their installer. Maybe check out Calamares because it's a little bit better. And uh, by a little bit, I mean quite a bit. So check that out. And they were and they did. And then they implemented it. And I was really happy to see that because it is an even better operating system because of it. So if you're interested in checking out more about Calamares, I'll have a link to the blog post about their roadmap in the show notes below. Speaking of Endeavor OS. It's like I planned that. Endeavor OS April Edition is now released. Endeavor OS ISO image now comes with the option to boot the ISO with either open source or NVIDIA's proprietary drivers. This is helpful as many NVIDIA users will, with newer graphics cards reported issues in the live environment. They say that this will work for those people, but it is noted that the option should only be used for those people with newer, dedicated NVIDIA graphics cards. Everyone else should still use the default option. Really cool that they added that, though. Uh, Calamari's installer received improvements like theming updates and integrated terminal emulator in the background to keep change of, to keep track of system changes, which is nice, as well as an updated partitioning tool to make it easier to use in the installer, though Gparted is still shipped with a live environment, just in case. Uh, Endeavor OS developers announced that the project also has launched its first mirror with the help of Alpix, which will become the default choice for the ISO download. And this can be changed through the welcome application, though. So if the users have to, you know, have some issues or the mirror is not working correctly for them or whatever, you can revert back to the GitHub repository if you choose to. And speaking of the welcome application, they also have new languages for that. So you can actually install it easier with Spanish, Italian, German, Russian, Finnish, Slovakian, Romanian, Polish, and French languages included. And also other additions include in the new new release is a new in-house, uh, several new in-house applications, a new i3 window manager option for the net installer, which is really cool, has the updated Linux kernel to 5.6.3, the Mesa, Mesa drivers to 20.0.4, and has added VMware support on the ISO, which is really cool in case you wanted to install it as a virtual machine in VMware. Very nice. So if you'd like to le- check out Endeavor OS, I have a link to the latest release in the show notes below. Up next in the show is a new remix of Ubuntu called Ubuntu DDE. This is based on the, des- the Deepin desktop environment. So Ubuntu DDE, before we move on, Ubuntu Deepin would have been a little bit better, but since it's called this, I will probably mess it up at some point, but Ubuntu DDE is using the Deepin desktop environment created by the Deepin Linux uh, distribution or the Deepin technology company that's based in China, and the Deepin desktop environment has been considered for a very long time, the most beautiful looking desktop environment available for Linux users, and many have been wanting to use this on an Ubuntu ecosystem, so now you can do that. Uh, Ubuntu DDE Remix 2004 Beta ISO has been released. Now, to be clear, Beta, it's very much in development. It's in heavy development. They specifically say it's not ready for production, so don't use it for production, just use it for testing and that kind of thing. Uh, but this is like the first time, that, the first release that they have done for potentially becoming a supported flavor. Now, I actually had a conversation with someone recently about the difference between a remix and a flavor, 
and they were asking me what it was, so I thought maybe it'd be cool for the show if you wanted to know, so I will tell you right now. But before, actually, uh, there's actually more things than just remix and flavor. There's also spins, derivatives, uh, forks, and there's also different versions of those things like a soft fork and a hard fork and whatnot. If you were interested in this kind of information, uh, please let me know in the comments below, and I'll make a video about it letting you know the full depths of how intricate this goes uh, but for now uh, remix versus flavor so essentially they're very similar uh, remix and a flavor are both develop are distributions um, derivatives essentially of uh, of uh, ubuntu however they're very different in the terms that they use usually a different desktop environment and they're both they're both would technically be made for the by the community not canonical so uh, Ubuntu, Mate, Kubuntu, Lubuntu, Ubuntu Budgie, etc. All of these are made by community developers, not Canonical themselves. However, Canonical officially sanctions flavors and not remixes. So basically, a remix is a stepping stone to become a flavor to get the official recognition and sanction uh, by Canonical. And the reason why a distribution will want to do that is because by becoming an official flavor, you also get a lot of benefits in terms of the infrastructure and the servers and a bunch of stuff like that, as well as contributions from some Ubuntu developers as well as other official flavor developers in a conjunction like Ubuntu Testing Week and that kind of thing. So uh, you get the benefit of using their servers. So for example, if you're going to download an ISO from some distributions, you might get like a SourceForge link or a GitHub link or whatnot. Whereas if you get one from a official flavor, you're actually getting it from the official servers from Ubuntu or an official mirror of Ubuntu and that kind of thing. So many reasons to become official flavors. And over the past couple of years or so, five years actually, I think uh, there's been we've seen two remixes turn into flavors for Ubuntu Mate and Ubuntu Budgie. And actually Ubuntu Mate's developer became an employee of Canonical and then became the main the head of the desktop or Ubuntu, so that's pretty interesting. Not necessarily relevant to this discussion, but still interesting. Really cool. Uh, good job, Martin. Anyway, uh, moving on, there's also uh, three remixes currently right now that I know of. There's the Ubuntu Cinnamon remix. We talked about that in a previous episode. There's the new Ubuntu DDE remix that we're going to talk about this episode, right? well, right now. There's also the Ubuntu Lumina remix we haven't talked about uh, yet, but maybe we will in the future. Or now... With the development of Ubuntu DDE Remix, you can now get the Deepin desktop environment integrated into Ubuntu. So there's a lot of interesting things here that a lot of people might be wanting to know or try out anyway. So if you're interested in trying out Deepin on Ubuntu, then this might be worth checking out. Ubuntu DDE Remix will have a link in the show notes below for those that are interested. And there you go. So if you are also interested in the more details about a Remix flavors, derivatives, etc., Please let me know in the comments below, and I will make more content related to that in a specific video describing all of them, because there's a lot, and they're all very similar and all very different. So let me know. Up next in the show is some stuff that I find pretty interesting, and that is the rebranding for SUSE. Now, it's not like a rebranding overall. It's more of a refresh of their brand, uh, but they have changed the way that the text for their logo looks. They have changed the way that Geeko looks. If you're not aware of this... But Sousa's mascot is a chameleon named Geeko, not a gecko named Geeko. So there's that. However, anyway, the uh, lo logo on the top, on the, if you're watching, watching the video on either YouTube or library, you can see 
the before and after. So this is the previous version on the top and then the latest version on the bottom. And I think the newest version is quite good looking. It is much better in a lot of ways. It's not that different, but it is significantly different in terms of modernization. So good job there. I would also say that the video announcing the new brand is quite good. I have a link to that in the show notes, but I just want to let you know I appreciate good marketing, and this is quite good. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of times I'll give them, uh, I gave Sousa a lot of uh, grief, I guess, a lot of grief for those parody videos they made because a couple of them were really, really good, and a lot of them were not at all good in any way whatsoever. So I'm glad that they are doing some improvements to their marketing. Uh, and they did this this animation video that to announce the new brand, and it is very slick. There's the the animation going from the old Geeko to the new Geeko, and it kind of the old Geeko eats a dot on the screen, and it kind of like morphs him into the new Geeko in like a, a Super Mario power up thing, which is pretty cool. And they also have like a Pac Man Easter egg where it shows these uh, bugs crawling on a motherboard or whatever, and then a dot comes in and takes over the three of the bugs, but there are four bugs and one bug gets away. And I don't know if they're doing this on purpose to imply that, you know, they can't squash all bugs because, you know, it's software created by humans and nobody's perfect and that kind of thing. If that's what they meant, then fantastic. If I just created that in my own head, then I'm also okay with that too. Cause I, I like the idea either way. So good job to Sousa. Keep making stuff like this probably stop with the parody videos unless you can do a good one but uh yeah keep doing this kind of stuff very good so let's now talk about some other stuff for the open susa proposition or proposal i guess that susa has made for open susa leap so with open susa leap and open susa in general people might believe that it's a part of the company of susa but it actually isn't. It kind of like borrows the name, sort of, and it's a community project that is sponsored by SUSE. So uh, SUSE has seen a lot of growth in the community project recently, or not recently, but in the past few, like eight years or so, really. That's not recent in computer terms, but anyway. Uh, they decided to provide a lot of packages and restructure re the way that they handled the difference between SUSE and OpenSUSE, and also the OpenSUSE Tumbleweed that came out. And they decided to do different releases where they did a fixed version of the release called Leap. And there's also some packages for the SUSE Linux Enterprise or SLE. And they share some packages between all three of Leap, SLE, and Tumbleweed in a variety of different ways. Like, for example, uh, Tumbleweed is a rolling distribution. And it essentially turns, uh, after a certain while, it turns into a snapshot for SLE. And then SLE turns into Leap. And Leap is kind of like a open source stable LTS sort of thing. And then Tumbleweed is a rolling distribution for people who want to have that. Anyway, so the if there's an official proposal for this, they call it closing the leap gap. So SUSE says that SUSE wants to bring the experience and quality of OpenSUSE Leap and SUSE Linux Enterprise or SLE to a new level. SUSE would also like to promote OpenSUSE Leap as a development platform for communities and industry partners going forward. We can achieve this together, collaborating closely between OpenSUSE Leap and SLE. So, due to the fact that OpenSUSE is an open source project, it appears that SUSE wants to make it more like interconnected with with SUSE itself uh, as like an, their alternative for open source, kind of like how 
uh, Fedora is a alternative for Red Hat and it is a you know incubator of sorts for Red Hat. And actually, they literally say on their the difference between like the if you look up what the difference is between Fedora and the relationship between Ford and Red Hat, they actually say it's an incubator for Red Hat. Uh, so in this case, OpenSUSE Leap would become like an incubator for uh, SLE, but also have a lot of integration in order to get like uh, they say that there would be vigorously uh, vetting packages for SLE and Leap, and it also benefits the ability to essentially do less work and accomplish more because having them more tightly integrated would be uh, beneficial in terms of how much time it takes to actually test the different packages and all that kind of thing. And with the SUSE Linux Enterprise, they have to be very adamant and very uh, rigorous in the testing. So that would benefit, in theory, the OpenSUSE Elite project as well. So pretty interesting overall. I think it's it's pretty cool. They're also talking about making like if they were to do this, they would create like another branch called Jump. So you would go from Jump to Leap or anything, <laughs> whatever. Uh, but this would be like a temporary branch. It wouldn't be like a transition phase from Slee to Jump to Leap. It would be just like this is what Jump would be like what they'd want to do in like a proof of concept, and then it would be kind of turned into Leap, and then Leap would just take over what Jump is. And that's the proposal. Uh, so essentially they're saying like this cl uh, cleanup and preparation is very important to, for the groundwork for the jump stuff. And they want to create this collaboration uh, for the leap and slee to accommodate the preparation work for this. They're going to be uh, delaying SUSE Linux Enterprise for about four weeks or so in order to make, try to make this uh, temporary jump thing become a thing to like as a proof of concept. But they say they would get uh, better tested packages, better tested updates, easier bug reporting, and higher quality code because more people can be working on it and not having as much uh, duplication of effort and you know that kind of thing. So it's pretty interesting to see what happens. Uh, I, I like the fact that SUSE is stepping up to be more of more than just a sponsor because there are some companies that are just sponsors of things. And the difference between a sponsor and integration is a little bit different in the terms of open source, so it's not... I mean, that kind of, well, it depends on also which company, how much the sponsorship is really sponsorship versus integration. Anyway, that's a whole other topic as well, like a whole other video. If you're interested in that, let me know in the comments below. Huh. Anyway, uh, this is pretty cool. I'm glad to see SUSE doing this because uh, I think SUSE has a lot of potential and has a lot of value for the open source community. I think if SUSE had d does more of the polishing stuff like they did for their branding, there's potential that OpenSUSE would be a awesome uh, beginner distro when you have the different values of like the snapshotting and the rollbacks for zipper and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they still need to do some stuff for the polishing. Uh, anyway, very cool to see what this is. It's actually kind of super interesting considering OpenSUSE was, was recently considering dropping the SUSE name. Then they decided not to do that. And now the reverse is being considered of integrating even more. So pretty interesting and I will let you know what happens in the future and like whenever they decide it seems like it'll be quite a while when they actually make the decision but uh, I will keep you updated when it does happen or if it does happen and finally this week we have some interesting news from the GNOME and Endless projects so the GNOME team in conjunction with Endless Computers 
is working at building a really interesting community-oriented event called Community Engagement Challenge. And if you would like to participate, the submissions are available and open right now. Uh, but for first, let's talk about it. They say that the goal of the initiative is to encourage individuals and teams to submit stimulating ideas that will connect the next generation of coders to the FOSS community and keep them involved for years to come. There are three phases included in the challenge with up to $65,000 in cash prizes and other rewards to the winners of each phase. The phases are outlined as such. So phase one, idea, written proposal with entry description and team background. Phase two, proof of concept. And phase three, the final product or sample product, I guess. Uh, there are no limitations on entry ideas. You can submit as many as you want. Uh, if you would like to learn more about this community engagement challenge, I'll have a link uh, for the official website in the show notes below. And I think this is really cool. I can't wait to see all the different entries that come into this and how they can help you know, push the boundaries of FOSS and you know, bring more people into the community and all that stuff. Really, really interesting. Really, really interesting to see what happens here. So if you'd like to learn more about the GNOME uh, Foundation and Endless Challenge for the, um, what's it called? The Community Engagement Challenge. I have a link in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via sponsors, PayPal, Patreon, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to destinationlinux.network store. The Linux is Everywhere t-shirt is a shirt that I made to convey the message that whether you know that Linux is there or not, it probably is. That's why Tux is blended in the background of the shirt. And also, there's other ways you can contribute. If you'd like to contribute without any cost to you, you can use our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Humble Bundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux as I'm a co-host of that show. And in fact, the latest episode is going to come out tomorrow, and it's going to be awesome uh, because we have uh, Dustin from Ubuntu Budgie who joins us on the show. But be sure to check out the previous episodes of 168 because Eric Adams of DLN Extend joined us, and it was a fun time. It was a great conversation. And we also had another awesome episode of 167 where Manjaro's Philip Mueller and Vince Vincent's from Tuxedo Computers joined us. So be sure to check those out. All of those episodes are fantastic. I know I'm a little bit biased, but I think they are all awesome. Also, there's actually something that's going to happen pretty soon, and I just can't wait to tell you that, and that is that the live streaming of This Week in Linux is coming back very shortly. It may be this weekend on the 18th. Is it the 18th? or the? I'm not sure. But uh, I think it's the 18th, yeah. It might be the 18th. It might be the week after. But I can tell you that the live streaming is coming back very, very soon. And I can't wait for that. So anyway, thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.